Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. script word for word off of a teleprompter in the back of the room. So uh, thank you so much, Josh, for sharing all those nice things about me. Uh, My name is Taylor, like Josh said, and I'm the student director here at Lakeland, which means that I pretty much have the best job in the entire world. Uh, I get to hang out with middle schoolers and high schoolers every single Wednesday night. I have an amazing uh, team, but it also means a few other things, okay? I'm used to communicating to a room that's like this big-ish. Um, with way fewer people in it uh, and way fewer bald heads and receding hairlines. But hopefully uh, we can still track this morning and have some fun uh, and you'll still learn a few new things. So uh, I want to start off by asking you guys a question. Uh, Have any of you guys ever been super excited about something, super all in about something, uh, and then almost kind of without warning, something flipped? Um, Could be a hobby, for example. Uh, I just got married about four months ago and uh, the guy that I married loves hobbies. He's a hobby guy, okay? I'm not a hobby girl, but I guess when you marry a hobby guy, you become a hobby girl, okay? So he loves hobbies. Um, And there was one day that I was scrolling through the black hole that is Facebook Marketplace. Can anybody relate? Goodness gracious, so much money gets spent on Facebook Marketplace. So I'm scrolling through and I see this little uh, catamaran for sale. It's like a one-two person catamaran. It's called a cat yak, if any of you guys are familiar with this. Um, and so I'm like, hey, Alex, do you want to go pick up this free catamaran, right? One of those free if you haul it kind of things. Like as long as you provide the truck and you show up, then you could take this thing for free. And so uh, he's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So we drive over and we get there and this guy's house is like here. The lake is here, and the catamaran is here, and it weighs a lot, all right? So, like, Alex and my dad are hauling this thing up a super steep set of steps, and they're working really hard. They're sweating really hard, but it's worth it because we're really excited. We were, like, all in about sailing. Uh, And so we get home, uh, or back to Alex's apartment, and uh, we go to fix this thing up and take a look at it, and we're like, this is in rough shape, right? I don't know a ton about boats, but what I do know is that holes are not a good thing, right? Uh, I do know that much. And so there are holes and gaps and all sorts of stuff wrong with this little catamaran. And so we go out and we're buying like epoxy and silicone and all other kinds of things that I don't know how to pronounce. Uh, and then Alex picked up some power tools, which he's a dude. So he was thrilled to have an excuse to buy power tools and spend money on power tools, right? Uh, so we get some power tools and we get to fixing this thing up. And we're really excited about this. We're like, we are crushing this. Like we are, we are just getting this thing back to how it it's supposed to be. We are like, what would it look like for us to buy up every single dilapidated sailboat and kayak in all of Walworth County and fix them and then operate like a watercraft rental company? We're just excited. We're taking this thing to the next level. So we get it into what we thought was saleable condition, right? We go to uh, Lake Como, which many of you are probably familiar with, and uh, we take it out on its maiden voyage. And it has been sitting in a storage unit ever since. (laughs) The reason is because I'm pretty decently good at reading people. And so we unloaded this thing out of Alex's truck and we got to the water's edge to launch it. And I turned and I looked at him and I was like, you don't know what you're doing, do you? 
And he turns and looks at me. He's like, no, but it can't be that hard, right? It was hard, okay? I don't know if any of you have ever tried sailing, but first you need wind. And we didn't really have any wind. Uh, and second, there's like a whole strategy with like metal bars and the sail and catching the wind a certain way. Um, and so we're literally in the middle of Lake Como YouTubing how to sail a cat yak catamaran, okay? Thankfully, we brought our phones with us, but man, we're out there uh, and I'm just not having a great time, right? I'm like starting to get nervous. The sun's, sun's starting to go down and I'm starting to panic. Uh, and kind of in that moment, Uh, we went from being really excited or I went from being really excited about this whole venture about going out sailing every weekend to being like, I'm never getting on that thing ever again. Uh, And I think it's because things got real and scary and hard, right? When When I was able to just dream about what it would be like or what it would feel like to go and the wind going through my long blonde locks, right? I was like, it sounds really great. Uh, But we got out there and I was like, this is pretty nerve wracking. And the reason I share this story with you is because I think it translates perfectly to some of our faith journeys as well. I think about uh, some of our students that uh, when we come back from a retreat or a camp of some sort, and these students describe it as like a camp high, like they're just so on fire for Jesus. Or maybe there's people in the room who have been baptized. Maybe it was two weeks ago at church in the park. Maybe it was years ago. Uh, But you kind of emerge from the waters of baptism and you're like, I have never felt like this before. I've never been so bought in for Jesus. But the world doesn't just stop, right? Like life keeps moving on after those moments happen. And so sometimes life gets real and scary and hard. And then we're like, oh man, this is really tricky. Life is really tricky. Following Jesus can be really tricky. Can anybody relate? And that's what we're going after today. We're in week three of this series called Lake Life. We're looking at these iconic moments that took place in Jesus's ministry by a body of water. And in the very last chapter of John's gospel, we see this beautiful restorative, redemption-filled story of Jesus redeeming a guy who went through something similar to what I just described. But unless we we talk about some things leading up to that, that story's not going to uh, make as much sense or carry as much weight. So here's what we know so far. We know that Jesus has come to earth as God in human form. That's a big deal, right? Big deal. He has called some of his first disciples. He's called these people to follow him. One of these guys was a guy by the name of Peter. And Peter, in my opinion, is one of the most fascinating, dynamic characters in all of the Gospels. We just talked about Peter uh, last week. Jason uh, talked about Peter last week. But I just think he's an awesome, cool guy to look at. But before he was a follower of Jesus, we know that he was a fisherman, right? Uh, And Jesus calls him from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. I'm like, wow, Jesus, did you come up with that on the spot? That was good. That was so good, Jesus. But he calls him from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. But it's also in this moment that Jesus changes Peter's name from Simon to starting to call him Peter. So sometimes throughout the gospels, he's referred to as Simon, sometimes Peter, sometimes Simon Peter, all the same person, just laying this groundwork here, right? So in Luke five, 
which uh, Pastor Josh preached on a couple of weeks ago at Church in the Park, we see this story where Jesus called some of his first disciples, including Peter. And so it's this moment where these guys are out fishing uh, and it's shallow enough water to where Jesus can actually go walk out into the water and get into the boat with Simon Peter. Uh, and they're not catching anything. And so Jesus is like, go, go cast your nets in some deeper water. All right, and Peter's probably like, who's this guy, right? Like, I'm the pro fisherman. What does this guy know about fishing, right? But he's like, I'll do it. Like, I'll listen to you. I'll go into deeper water. So he listens to Jesus. They go out into deeper water and they catch so many fish that their nets begin to break, right? Their boats begin to sink. And Peter and everybody that witnesses this is like, this guy's the real deal. Like, that was a miraculous catch of fish that could not have been possible apart from God. And so they leave everything and they decide to follow him. But this is just the beginning, all right? This is just the beginning of Peter's journey with Jesus. Peter is what I would have called an, an all-in follower of Jesus. One of Jesus' very best friends. Was Peter perfect? No. Uh, did he make mistakes? Yes, absolutely. We'll get to that in a bit. But uh, Jason already talked last week about the moment where Peter steps out of the boat. Jesus asks him to step out of the boat, and then his faith begins to waver, and he starts to, to drown, right? So we see these moments where uh, uh, Peter was a loyal follower of Jesus, but he also had these, these times when his faith wavered a little bit. We do know that he was loyal. We know that Jesus trusted him. In fact, when Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, we know that Peter is actually translated from the Greek word that means rock. And so Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. And then he proceeds to say, I will build my church upon this rock. You think he's going to say he's going to build a church upon the rock of a guy that he doesn't trust? No. Jesus trusted Peter. He's one of his most loyal followers. But you keep reading. You keep reading throughout the Gospels, uh, and there's a story, and you start to scratch your head a little bit. Uh, see, Jesus is reclining at uh, a meal with his disciples, what we now refer to as the Last Supper. And so he's sharing a meal with his disciples. And he tells Peter, he leans over and he tells Peter that Peter is going to deny him. Check it out in Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Peter's probably just as confused as the rest of us when this moment happens. He's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? What in the world are you talking about? I, I'm willing to die for you. I love you so much. I am bought in. I am all in. But Jesus is God in human form. He knows everything. So we know that when Jesus predicted this, he knew that Peter was going to deny him. But I don't want you to miss the mercy of Jesus here. What did Jesus say? He said, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to sift all of you as wheat. 
I don't really know what that means, but I assume it means like making flour, right? Correct me after the service if I'm wrong, okay? But I think it means like sifting the, the, the wheat and making flour. And so what Satan wants to do is he just wants to absolutely annihilate Peter because Peter's doing good things. And so Satan just wants to take him out at the knees. He just wants to sift him as wheat and kind of put him in his hands and be like, you're gone. There's nothing left of you. But Jesus is like, I'm not going to let that happen, Peter. Yes, you're going to deny me. You're going to turn away for just a little hot second. But then you're going to turn back. And you're actually going to lead the rest of my followers when you do. So a short time later, we see that Jesus is arrested. We see that he's arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see that in this really heated moment, Peter actually takes a sword or a knife and he cuts the ear off of one of the guards who's arresting Jesus. And I don't know how many of you in this room should uh, do that or would do that, but that's some loyal friendship right there. He's like, Jesus, I'm not going anywhere. I'm willing to chop this guy's ear off and I don't care what happens to me, right? Like he's like, I am not going anywhere, Jesus. So Jesus is taken away to be questioned by the high priests. And while that's taking place, Peter's waiting outside. And we're told in the text that he's standing around a charcoal fire with some servants and some officers of the high priests. And while he's standing around that fire, people kind of start to look at him. And they're like, hey, aren't you one of Jesus's friends? The guy that we're trying in there, like, don't you hang out with him? Like, aren't you one of his, his buddies, one of his followers? And he's asked three times, hey, aren't you friends with Jesus? Don't you know that guy? And all three times, Peter's response is basically the same. No, I do not know Jesus. No, I do not know Jesus. No, I do not know Jesus. It seems like such an obvious lie, right? It's like, it's like Alex and I getting out of the water with our little cat yak and somebody being like, hey, how was sailing? How was the water? And me being like, what sailboat? What lake, right? Like, what, are, what in the world are you talking about, right? It was such an obvious lie. People had seen Peter hanging out with Jesus. They knew he had been hanging out with Jesus. And yet he says, no, I do not know Jesus. Honestly, Peter probably feared for his life in this moment. He didn't know what would happen if he, would, if he said yes. But he says no. He turns away. Meanwhile, we know that Jesus is tried and convicted by the Jewish courts for blasphemy, for claiming to be king of the Jews. He's sentenced to death on a cross. He dies, but he raises again three days later, which is where all of our hope is found. And he begins appearing to important people in his ministry, including his disciples. We see this moment where uh, the Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary, Jesus' mother, go to anoint Jesus' body because they think that he's still in the tomb. And when they get there, what they don't find is Jesus' body, uh, but what they do find is an angel. Check it out in Mark 16. 
The angel says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch that? The angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why didn't he just say the disciples? Well, it's not because Peter wasn't considered a disciple anymore. It was just the opposite, actually. I'm sure that in this moment, Peter wasn't really sure if he was considered a disciple anymore. Whether the other disciples actually knew that Peter had gone through with denying Jesus or not, I'm sure that Peter thought that he was the absolute laughingstock of all of the disciples. And I don't know if any of you have ever been there before, but I know that I've said things in the past and I've done things in the past that are just so out of character for me that I don't even want to be in the same room as even my closest family and friends. I just kind of want to kind of bury my head in the sand. I bet that's how Peter is feeling. I'm sure that those three conversations that he had had around the charcoal fire had kind of begun replaying in his head, right? How in the world could I say that? How in the world could I do that? I imagine he was feeling pretty alone, pretty unworthy, probably feeling like a coward, like a traitor. So the angel is sure to tell the Marys that they need to seek out the disciples and Peter to make sure that Peter was there when Jesus appeared to them. So as we approach this story in John 21, we know that Jesus has already appeared to his disciples several times. But let's pick it up in John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you, have any, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards. Does this story sound familiar to anybody? I think as a reader, you kind of start to go like, okay, Jesus, I see you, right? Like you're literally recreating the moment that you called Peter and some of the first disciples to follow you. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need those reminders too. 
And right now I'm speaking to those in the room who have made that decision to follow Jesus, who have given their lives to Christ. It might have been two weeks ago at church in the park during that powerful service. It might have been 30 years ago. But whatever it is, that's the group that I'm talking to right now. Because I think sometimes we need reminders of what that was like when we were all in for Jesus. It might have been the day that we gave our life to Christ. It might have been a moment that we were just all in. But sometimes we need those reminders because life gets busy. It gets real and it gets scary and it gets hard. And sometimes it's easy to just walk away, even if just for a moment. I want to challenge you this week to think back to that moment, whether it was the moment you gave your life to Christ, if you can remember it, or a time that you were all in. Think about that time. And ask those around you the same question. Listen to people's stories. There's a lot of people in this room, I'm sure, who have given their lives to Christ, but who have drifted because they know about God's grace and they know about God's forgiveness and they know about God's mercy, but there's no way that it can possibly apply to them. So take time, reflect on your own story and ask other people to share their story. I think God uses these reminders to prime us to follow him even closer. I know for me, when I think back to those big moments, those big milestone spiritual moments in my life, I was no older than four or five when I first gave my life to Christ. I remember sitting in the kitchen of my nana, my nana and papa's house down in Onarga, Illinois. And I remember sitting in the kitchen with my nana. And I remember her sharing the gospel with me in a very real and tangible way for a four or five-year-old. And she walked me through that and she asked me if I wanted to accept Jesus as my personal savior. And I said, yes, and we prayed together and I'll never forget that moment. And then I remember on my 11th birthday, it was just a couple of weeks after my grandpa had passed away. He was the first person that was real close to me that I had lost. And I remember it was the very first time in my life that I had really wrestled with the weight of eternity. Like, wow. My grandpa's gone and eternity's a really long time. What does that mean, God? Help me understand what that means. But I rededicated my life to Christ and said, I'm not gonna understand all of this, but what I do know is I wanna follow you for the rest of eternity. And there's a lot of times when I need to sit back and reflect on these moments in my life because it's easy to just keep going through the motions. But we need to be reminded of that love that we had. We first gave our life to Christ and what that was like. I think it's worth noting too from this passage that Peter had walked away from fishing to follow Jesus, right? He had walked away, he had hung up his nets to follow Jesus. And then Jesus is gone and what does Peter go back to? Fishing, right? So Jesus comes back on the scene and he's like, Peter, 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 I equipped you. I equipped you to be a disciple. I called you to be a disciple. I called you to hang up your nets and to become a fisher of men, not a fisherman. And then I leave and you go back to what you were doing before I called you to be a disciple. Come on, Peter. Peter. 
But how often when life gets real and scary and hard, do we just throw our hands up in the air, right? Like in our faith lives, this might look like just going back to the things that we were doing before we knew Jesus, right? Because sometimes that's just easier when life gets hard, is I'm just going to go back to those things. Maybe uh, it looks at work, like things getting really, really hard at work, and you're like, this is just too much for me. I'm just going to procrastinate and put it off as long as I possibly can, or I'm going to turn in work that's not the quality and excellence that God requires of me. Or maybe it's at home, things are really messy at home, and so instead of stepping into that mess and restoring that mess, you decide to just spend less time at home, because maybe the mess will go away if I'm not there. But I'm here to tell you, when you run away from one mess, you're just going to go to other people who are messy. And God calls us to step into the hard. He calls us to step into the mess. The good news, though, is that Jesus has a solution, even when we do the exact opposite of that. Check it out in John 21, verse 9. When they landed the disciples. They saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Don't miss the intentionality of Jesus here. I think it can be easy to just read through the text or scroll through the text on, on version and check a box and call it good, but this is such an intentional moment that Jesus has set up here. What kind of fire does it say that Jesus had prepared on shore? Charcoal. What kind of fire was Peter standing around when he denied Jesus? Charcoal. Do you think that's a coincidence? I'm here to tell you it's not. That Greek word for charcoal is anthrakia. It's only used two times in the entire New Testament. Jesus could have used any kind of fire that he wanted to. He could have made a wood fire. He could have spontaneously made fire appear, right? He's God. But instead, he chooses to use charcoal because he's showing Peter that he is redeeming every single square inch of Peter's story. We know that Jesus had already had a conversation with Peter maybe several times when he had appeared to the disciples. He might have had a heart-to-heart -heart with him and been like, hey man, that wasn't cool what you did back there around that charcoal fire. But it was still really important that Jesus has this moment in front of all of the rest of the disciples on shore to redeem Peter. It was so important that this moment took place publicly. 
Because if you remember, Jesus had predicted Peter's denial in front of the rest of the disciples. So if he, if he was going to predict that in front of the rest of the disciples, he was going to bring it back together and restore it in front of the rest of the disciples. Jesus already knew Peter's answers to his, to his questions. He wasn't sitting there wondering if Peter loved him. He knew that Peter loved him. He knew Peter's answers to his questions, but he asks him anyways so that Peter can say with his own mouth, from his own heart and from his own mind, yes, Jesus, I love you. You remember he denied knowing Jesus three times. He now gets to affirm his love for Jesus three times. Jesus is restoring every square inch of Peter's story. Notice what Jesus asks him to do. He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus is like, do you remember when I predicted that you were going to deny me? And then do you remember the second part of that, Peter? Do you remember that I said that you were going to deny me, that you were gonna turn away and then you were gonna turn back? And I was gonna ask you to lead my people? Well, Peter, that moment is now because I'm not gonna be here forever. And Peter, I want you to lead my sheep. I want you to lead my people in my absence. You might be sitting there thinking like, how, how in the world can Jesus just forgive him and restore him like that? Peter denied even knowing him. How can Jesus just come back and forgive him like that? Well, I think it's pretty simple. Jesus didn't dismiss Peter's sin. He paid for it on the cross. Think about the timeline of this. Jesus had just died on the cross. For situations just like this, he knew that his most sold out followers were not immune from the spiritual battle that is constantly taking place. He knew that his most bought in followers were going to mess up. And let me make that a little bit more personal. Jesus doesn't dismiss your sin either. He paid for it on the cross. He doesn't just wave his hands and dismiss it like it's no big deal because it is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. Sin separates us from God. But when we turn back, like Peter did, Jesus is standing there with open arms. And he's like, I forgive you. I love you. Come follow me. I'm gonna do big things through you. This next part of the story is a little less glamorous, but I think it's worth sharing. Jesus predicts Peter's death to him. He tells Peter that Peter is going to die a death on a cross, like Jesus had, for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now you might think that with this information, Peter would be like, seriously? Like you had to tell me that information, right? You couldn't have just let me live in ignorance like everybody else and just die how I was going to die. 
But that's not how Peter responds at all. Instead, check out what happens. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Again, that's John, was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So Peter learns that he is going to die a death on a cross. And then rather than having some sort of reaction to it, he's like, all right, thanks for the info. What about John? What's going to happen to John? And how does Jesus respond? It doesn't matter what's going to happen to John. I want him to stay alive forever. He can stay alive forever. I'm telling you, Peter, to follow me. Sounds a lot like my childhood, that's for sure, right? Like me and my 14-month-old younger, or my 14-month younger sister. If I was going to get in trouble for something, I wasn't just going to take it, right? I was going to be like, okay, but what about her? What about her? What are you going to do to her, mom and dad, right? And the response was always the same. It doesn't matter. Just worry about yourself. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter here. Just worry about yourself. What about John? Peter, follow me. The same is true for you and I. Well, I want to follow you, but my friends aren't really into this whole Jesus thing, and I don't really know how they were. Follow me. Well, my, I'm the only one in my family that's chasing after this, and so I'm not really sure if it's right. Follow me. I'm the only one in the office. My coworkers uh, aren't really into this whole faith thing, and so I'm not really. Follow me. Jesus is saying, follow me. And I don't know where everybody's at in their journey with Jesus. There's some in this room that are, they're going strong, going hard after it, following Jesus. There's some that are heading in maybe the right direction. And Jesus is just nudging and saying, follow me, follow me. And there's some in this room who've never made that decision before. And Jesus is saying, there's no other way. Follow me. It doesn't matter what the person next to you is doing. Follow me. Chase hard after me. Because he loves us too much to not call us to follow him. Would you stand and pray with me? God, I imagine that there are people in this room that need reminders of how good you are and how faithful you are. There are those in this room that are longing for restoration, that know that things have been tricky, that when life has gotten real and scary and hard, they've panicked. And rather than running into your loving arms, run to the things of this world. But God, you are so good. 
You are so good and forgiving and merciful. Pray for those in this room that don't know what that's like, that don't know what that's like to have a loving father to run to when life gets challenging. It's for those in the room that don't have that relationship with you, God, I pray that they wouldn't leave here today without furthering that conversation. To know what that looks like in five years or 10 years or 15 years when life gets real and scary and hard, that they can turn around and they can run to you and that you are just to forgive. So God, I pray that as every person in this room goes out today, they would not leave unchanged by this hopeful message, by this hopeful story that is shared. Lord, may it continue to work in our lives this week. We pray all of this in the powerful, mighty, merciful, forgiving name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, there are prayer partners in the back. There's also prayer partners online. You can give here in the building or online. And again, feel free to stick around for Start Here. Thanks for being here this morning. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.